Last week I preached a sermon that the Lord had led me to preach uh, at Bob Jones University years ago, about 2005, when they asked me to go up there and do chapel for them for a couple days. And uh, this was the message I'm preaching this morning. is the second day that I preached up there. I preached this message. I believe the last time I have mentioned it here or preached it here it would have been about nine years ago, 2014. Some of you weren't here. But whether you were or weren't, uh, I believe you'll be rejoicing in the message today. If you take your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, I'm going to talk about the king today. Before he became the king, he became the servant. Humility comes before honor. That's what the Bible says. Humility comes before honor. If somebody told me this week, a waitress told me that she was playing the lottery for the first time, I said, well, I hope you, uh, and basically what I told her was, I hope you don't win. It'll ruin your life. Wealth unearned is a dangerous thing. Dangerous thing. I don't know if my service went down after that, but it may have. I Starting in verse 22 of chapter 15 of Mark, and they bring him unto the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but which was for pain, by the way, but he received it not. And when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, casting lots upon them, whatever man should take. It was the third hour they crucified him. The superscription of his accusation was written over him, the king of the Jews. Obviously, that was tongue-in-cheek, but it was true. Isn't it amazing how God has the heathen obey him? God has the heathen obey him. They don't even know what they're doing. They said, let's put a superscription above there, the king. He, he is was, is, and will be the king of the Jews. And with him they crucified two thieves, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Scripture was fulfilled, which saith that he was numbered with the transgressors. That was really in Isaiah 53, the gospel in the Old Testament. And they passed, in verse 29, and they that passed by railed on him, wagging their heads, probably rolling their eyes, Ah, thou destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days. Save thyself and come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief, not just the priests, but the chief priests, mocking, set among themselves with the scribes. These are the most intellectual people of their day. He saved others, himself, he cannot save. Again, God had him say that. Let, the, let Christ, the king of Israel, and they again gave him the honor of king, descend now from the cross that, he, that we may see and believe. Jesus said, a, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh a sign. And no sign shall be given it but the sign of Jonah, which was the sign of the resurrection. 
And the only thing that they were going to be able to have a sign on, the only sign I've ever had is a resurrection sign, and I believe it. And they that crucified, they were the, and this is interesting, and they were crucified, they that were crucified with him reviled him. So both thieves were reviling him for a while. When the sixth hour was come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood by when they heard it and said, Behold, he called Elias. And one ran and filled a sponge with vinegar, put it in a reed, put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink, saying, Let alone, let us see whether Elias will come and take him down. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. And the veil of the temple was rent in twain. Notice, very significant, from the top to the bottom, from God to man. What was the veil? The veil was meant there to keep people away from the Holy of Holies. People, the average person could never go to the Holy of Holies. The only person ever get to go was the chief priest. And that was only once a year. And that was only when he had shed the blood of a lamb. And God, after Jesus, the Lamb of God, died on an old rugged cross, he ripped that old barrier between us and him from top to bottom. And now we have access And we're even told in Hebrews, come boldly before the throne of grace. Not just come meekishly and sheepishly and with your head down as a a publican in the temple beating his chest and wouldn't look to heaven. Uh, But he says, come boldly, head up. Wow. Wow. And notice in verse 39, when the centurion was stood over against him, saw that he cried out and gave up the ghost, and he had seen the whole thing. He said, truly, this man was the son of God, another independent witness. There were over 500 people witnessed the resurrected Jesus Christ, over 500, plus all the apostles and other people had seen him. But here this heathen centurion who had, crucified probably thousands of people, seen them die, seen them cry for mercy, seen what they went through when they came to death. When he saw what Jesus did, he said, truly, this man was the Son of God. Now, the word Son of God is deity. It means representative of God. When when the Bible says Son of Man, it means representative of man. When it says Son of God, it means representative of, of God. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you've seen the Father. Show us the Father. Don't have to. You see Jesus, you've seen him. Jesus is an enigma. What's an enigma? It's a puzzle. It's a riddle, conundrum, paradox, problem, quandary. Why is he an enigma? Because he was a nobody. Born in a little town of Bethlehem, which was two, three, four thousand people. Obscure in an obscure nation, an obscure family. He was a carpenter by trade. Nothing nothing would would make you believe that 2,000 years ago in a pulpit in Bonita Springs, which wasn't even known about, we would be talking about him. That you people would have come 
gotten dressed, got up, and come from your places to meet here so that we could talk about the Lord Jesus Christ, this nobody. At least they thought. Many people with great gifts and great talents and great abilities have come and gone and are in obscurity. They affected a handful of people, and after they died, it wasn't long before they were forgotten. And I hate to break the news to you, but you're going to be forgotten also. As far as this world's concerned, we're going to not be buried long before nobody comes to the grave and nobody cares to come. And nobody knows what the names were. I told before I walked with Chris and Thomas. Chris is 30 and Thomas is 27. And we walked, we have memorials under all those trees all the way back and all the way around the back fence. And uh, I knew, I said a little bit about this guy, a little bit about this one, a little bit about this one. They didn't know any of them. I said, you're kidding me. When I die, and a few of you die, they'll go off into obscurity again, and some new pastor will come paint over them. (laughs) Put people he knows, and I can't blame him. Jesus Christ stands out above everyone in history, those before him and those after him. Jesus is greater and more influential than Abraham. Then Moses, the two most famous people of the Old Testament. He's more influential than Shakespeare or Milton or Tennessee Ernie Ford. How many know Tennessee Ernie Ford? Mm-hmm. How many under 30 know Tennessee Ernie Ford? Why? Why was he so influential? I believe it's stated by the very ones who crucified him, the chief priests. I think they said it. They said it mockingly. But God used their very words to describe the power of the cross and the Christ who hung on it. Verse 31, he saved others himself. He cannot save. Years ago, there was a crash of an airliner into a river which was iced over. It was a sad situation. I saw it on TV. They had video people with their phones. It it had crashed pretty near, pretty close to shore, but when it crashed, it ripped apart in a few places, and the the whole plane broke through the ice and sunk into the ice. This is ice water. And most of the people were on shore just looking, and and once in a a while, a person would get free from their seatbelt and pop up, and be able to, you know, try. They were they were encouraging him to come to shore, but they were so cold. I don't know if you've ever been so cold where your arms didn't work, and your legs don't work. And these people were trying to float and trying. They would go back under and come up. So one, God bless his soul, one man jumped in, and he brought that one person to shore, and they grabbed them. He went up, went back to the fuselage, went down, picked up another person, brought that person to the fuselage, and people in the shore grabbed him. He went back to the, another fuselage, went down, got another person, brought him up. He finally brought up a woman, uh, and and he had this woman, and he was he was beginning to he was pushing her towards the shore, and they kept saying, "Get out of the water! Get out of the water! Get out of the water!" The man got the woman where somebody could grab her and pull her ashore, and he sunk under the water. They found his body when they did a thorough search of the wreck. 
with the rest of the people he was trying to save. He saved others. Himself, he could not save. What makes people famous is their hero, they're willing, their act of being a hero is rewarded. People like that, the guy that did that is rewarded as high as you can honor somebody. In the military, when people do that, they're given oftentimes a medal of honor, which is oftentimes given to them after they die. Most, most medal, in fact, I think maybe I could say this, most medal of honor recipients are after they have died on the field trying to save other people. The act of sacrificing yourself for others is historically recognized as the highest human character and virtue that you can do. Jesus said it in John chapter 15, verse 13. Greater love hath no man than this. What is that? That a man lay down his life for his friends. That's why the Medal of Honor is given to people. And that's why that guy that sunk, that saved those people. What bothered me when I was watching that video of that guy in a plane is why didn't other people go in? Only one guy. There must have been 50 people there. Why didn't they go in? But what that guy did is what the Lord Jesus did for us, but in a much greater way, because he was God-man. He was God manifest in the flesh, the incarnate Son of God called the last Adam, representing all those who were lost in the first Adam. The impact of the cross was not because just he was crucified, because many people had been crucified. Thousands of people had been crucified through the years by the Roman Empire. But it was that he was not just a mere man, the Lord Jesus, when he died on that old cross. Jesus Christ was God, as it says in Timothy, manifest in the flesh and taking a human body on by Mary. Philippians chapter 2, words it, and take your Bibles if you want to look there, Philippians chapter 2, one of the best places all the New Testament, where it words this process of God becoming man and representing all the men on that old rugged cross. It says, who being, and speaking of Jesus in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of that, it says, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name. That's huge. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess, everyone. They're going to bow in heaven and earth and under the earth. They're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You say, I'm not going to do it. You will. What was the enigma of Jesus? I believe the enigma of Jesus is that it was, it was something that was God-driven. The mystery was God-driven. More than any man, Jesus had left glory with the Father. 
that he had and humbled himself becoming to this order. I often try to re- think about what it felt like, what, what it would feel like to come from heaven and to come down to this old world where people are fighting and hating each other and cutting each other off in traffic and giving each other the bird and, and, and yelling at each other and being and being divided about this group against this group and that group against this group and the hate that flows just, and it's not new. It's been since Adam fell, since Cain slew Abel. I wonder what it felt like. How could you know? You wouldn't know. Only God could know what it felt like to take upon him this body and come into the, and walk among us. I'll be around his disciples which he handpicked. He's substituting himself for you. He took on the wrath of God that your sin deserved on himself. Just like that priest when he went into the Holy of Holies once a year would have that lamb and sacrifice that lamb for his own sin and and also the sin of the nation and then would be allowed to go into the Holy of Holies and sprinkle that blood on the mercy seat. The Lord Jesus Christ was like that lamb. In fact, to the place where John... The Baptist, when he was baptizing, said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. I believe Jesus' blood would save everyone that ever had breath and if they would say, repent and trust him. Everyone. There's a group of people that believe that that, was, that, that that blood was limited. I don't think it was limited at all. I don't believe God's mocking us when he says whosoever will may come. I think he means what he says and says what he means. The Bible, I take it just what it says. It's literal. If he says whosoever will may come, it's whosoever will may come. He doesn't mock us and offer salvation when you could not or cannot respond. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 15 says, And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision in your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses, blotting out the handwritings of ordinances that were against us. The old Ten Commandments is against us, not for us. Now, the Ten Commandments are just, holy, and good. They're wonderful, but you've broken every one of them in spirit. All the Ten Commandments the law of Moses did was tell us we're sinners unable to save ourselves. No matter how many resolutions you make, no matter how much willpower you've got, you cannot stop from sinning without God intervening. The law tells us, these handwritings, listen to what it says here, these handwritings which was contrary to us, and he took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, glory to God. And having spoiled principalities and powers, that's the old devil himself pointing fingers at us, accusing us night and day. He hath made an op- a show of them openly, triumphing, triumphing over them in it. But before he could do that, he could not save himself. The power of the cross was that Jesus could have bailed out at any time. Real power of the cross. If, if they grabbed me, soldiers grabbed me and crucified me, what, what sacrifice would that be? I couldn't have saved myself if I wanted to, but not with Jesus. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's one of the power, the power of the cross. He had the power. Look in Matthew chapter 26, verse 53 and 
and 54. This is what it says. He says, Jesus' words says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels. That's at least 12,000 angels. But how then shall the Scriptures be fulfilled that it must be? One angel would have been good enough to take them out. The power of the cross is that Jesus had other options, but he refused any other option. The chief priests aptly said he saved others. He sure did. Himself, he cannot save. He could not save because of his love. What kept Christ on the cross was he loved you. Bible says, while you were a yet sinner, Christ died for you. Christ knew, he knows you, he formed you in the womb. He knows you, he gave you your DNA, what you're going to look like, what his mind thought about you. He loves you. You say, oh, I can't tell, but God loves you, folks. If anything you get, if anything you get out of the Bible, get that God loves you. Jesus Christ, the, the, the essence of the love of God demonstrated on Calvary. He loves you. Love is the most powerful force in the universe. The Bible says God is love. He doesn't just possess love. He is God. He is love. He loved the cruel soldiers that scourged him. He loved those who mocked him. I don't know about you, but when somebody mocks me, and I want to be a Christian. You want to be a Christian? I want to be a Christian. But I lie to you when to tell you when I go door to door sometimes and people Sometimes and rare, but once in a while they're mean to me. And they're mocking. I want to just give them a little lecture about why do you think I got up and came here and did all this? Why do you think I'm at your door? Because I'm having fun? You're getting ready to die and go to a place called hell and never been able to get out of there. I'm trying to help you with some news that can save your soul. I'm not as good, I'm not like Jesus many times. The love of God pushed him to Calvary. He loved the cruel soldiers and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He loved those who mocked him. He loved the, the sinner no matter what he said or what he did. And that's why he came to save others. There's a poem years ago. It was actually a song. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be, that when I live for others, I might live like thee. Let me live from day to day in such a self-forgetting way that even when I kneel to pray, my prayer might be for others. Others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. The power of the cross is summed up in this statement that these chief priests made. He saved others. Himself he could not save. He cannot save. All those who come to the foot of the cross and see Christ crucified there for them, how do you... I'm asking a question now. How do you get people to do the bus ministry? What kind of persuasion do you use on people to give many times 25, 35 years of their Sundays and Saturdays calling on people, trying to get them to come to church? What causes people to do that? What causes bodies of churches to try to spend the money on the buses and, and to keep them maintaining everything? I'll tell you, because we've been at the foot of the cross. If you'll get a vision of the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has done for you, that he, he came to save you, he died for you, for God so loved the world. You don't have to say it that way. You can say, for God so loved me 
that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you'll ever get a vision of the cross that is quite what God has done for you and bestowed upon you, and you'll repent of your old ugly, wicked sins and say, Lord Jesus, please be my Savior, and Lord, come to me, help me, cry out. You can say a lot of, a lot of different ways. You say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. You may say it like the old guy, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom like the thief on the cross. In some way or another, you'll repent of your sin and trust Christ with just simple childlike faith. You'll say at the beneath the cross, God's power will come upon you. He'll birth you into his family. He'll put your name in the Lamb's book of life. He'll begin, a, he'll begin to prepare a place for you in heaven. You'll be able to dwell the rest of, of eternity with the Lord Jesus. Why? Because he saved others. Himself he cannot save. We're changed forever. There's an army of souls that have seen the power of the cross and have carried his message on. On through the fire. On through the resistance. On through the hatred of wicked men. On through persecutions and personal loss. On through sufferings indescribable. But ever on. Like their master before them, they saved others themselves they could not or did not save. They gladly gave up their property, the world's accolades and favor, personal health and prosperity, like a mighty army, have left their homes and their families and their friends to reach the lost masses with the gospel. They inhabited mud huts, endured no running water, no air conditioning, no clean toiletries, no common comforts. Why? to save others. Many of them got saved or killed by those they preached to. I think of the five men years ago in the 50s, there was five young men with their women went down to Ecuador and they were trying to win the Aka Indians. The Aka Indians were known manhunters, headhunters, and they would eat people, and they're known for that. They flew into a place that dropped some leaflets and, and organized some sort of a meeting with those heads of those tribes of the Aka Indians. They flew in. The five men got out of the airplane, and the men that brought men that met them speared them to death. They had a gun on the plane, but they didn't use it. They weren't there to kill the Aka Indians. They were there to tell them Jesus saves. You say, what a waste. Five young men killed all at one time. It wasn't a waste. The very people that some of those very Aka Indians that, that speared them to death later on got saved, went around America. Some people that from that area brought them to America to give the testimony of that and how they got saved. Their tribe got, many of their, their tribe got saved. There was a church established among the Aka Indians uh, hundreds and thousands of young missionaries around the world in the 50s, and this was a big deal in the 50s. It was massive all over the news. People got inspired to be missionaries, inspired to go to the world and preach a gospel to every creature. The blood that was shed that day by those five men was not in vain. God himself took their blood and spread it throughout the world for the name of Jesus. He saved others. Himself, he cannot save. Have you ever knelt at the 
foot of the cross? Have you ever, as it were, looked at the Savior who gave himself for you? Have you ever felt his overwhelming love for your soul? You say, Brother Bill, I've done some wicked stuff so bad, God couldn't forgive me. He can forgive you. He wants to forgive you. His blood's powerful enough to cleanse you from every sin that you've ever done if you'll receive him as your Savior. You'll confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. How many here are saved? Say amen. Amen. What a miracle. 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years later, from 32 AD, we're coming up on it. Almost 2,000 years later, you got saved people that are still willing to give themselves for the cause of Christ, still willing to give up their property, still willing to give up their home and go on mission field and to a people that really don't want them to be there many times and to per- endure persecution. Our missionary Alfred in Venezuela told me the last time he was here, I believe I will be killed in Venezuela. That's what he told me. I said, you're going to go back? He said, I'm going back. He was carjacked. We had a guy in uh, Papua New Guinea that was it was uh, stabbed and carjacked and about bled him bled out for the cause of Christ. What causes people like Adoniram Judson to give his life in in Burma? What causes Hudson Taylor to give his life in China? What causes William Carey to give his life in India? Jesus king of the Jews. They get a vision of Christ on that old rugged cross. The Holy Spirit will let you see it clearly if you want to see it. You say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Why don't you just get with God alone sometimes? Say, Lord Jesus, if you are who you say you are, well, can I see the cross? Let me see the cross. Let me see it applied for me. You young people, you say, well, I don't know about that's true or not. Just go to God in prayer and say, Lord Jesus, if you're real, if you're true, if you're there, manifest yourself to me. Let me see the cross. Get the book of John in the New Testament and read John chapter 3. Say, let me see the cross. It changed my life. Changed my entire direction. It changed all my plans. And at 18 years old, sent me on a completely different route in a different way to a different school than I ever thought I would go. The power of the cross. Oh, you mocking chief priests and scribes, you thought you had him. It wasn't enough to crucify him. You had to torture his soul by saying he saved others himself. He cannot save. It didn't torture Jesus when you said that. For he looked down the road. Without that death, without that shedding of blood, none of you people that are saved here today would be part of his family. And for your sake, he hung on the rug, old rugged cross. For your sake. He didn't call the 12,000 angels to take him off that old cross. And for my sake, if you you can make it personal, for my sake and your sake and his love for me. Hey, 
The death of the cross deserves my all. It deserves my sacrifices on Saturday. It deserves my sacrifices uh, in the bus ministry or the door-to-door or the nursery. It de- what's your time in the nursery? God bless you for doing that because Jesus loved you and gave himself for you. It deserves my time studying for Sunday school lesson. It deserves whatever God asks of me to do. It deserves it. I'm not doing God a favor. He did me the favor. Put me on his team. Put me in his family. Man, whatever he asked me, not some big sacrifice. Jesus put it this way. He says, at your best, you're an unprofitable servant because you're just doing what is your duty to do. It's just my duty to serve God after what he's done for me. It's just my duty to give to him after what he's done to me and done for me. Woo! Glory to God. Oh, death, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? He's conquered my enemy death so that you can face it with assurance. I've seen some people die. I'm going to tell you, Christians, I've seen some wonderful things when Christians die. There's a peace comes over them, a grace comes over them. The power of God comes over them. Don't fear death. Death is toothless. He's like Maxwell's dog. I was over to Peggy Fisher. Where's she? Where are you at? Peggy, where are you at? Peggy Fisher has one of them toothless dogs. Peggy in here, she's hiding probably. She went over to Peggy, you know, they had one of them little chihuahuas. She had it in her, she was holding it. I thought, well, I'll go over and pet that dog. And it gummed me. <laughs> but it's, it sounded mean. I gum, their gums went on my fingers. I went over to uh, Maxwell's one time and and that dog wants, acts like it wants to tear you up. Them little chihuahuas act like they want to tear you up. And you know, that little dog went over there and rawr, 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 that means he just says, well, all his bottom teeth been pulled. Amen. That's death. It has a loud bark. It sounds and looks ferocious, but Jesus pulled the teeth on death for the born-again Christian. It has no teeth. He saved others. Himself he cannot save. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for the Spirit of God. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the, the old rugged cross. The preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which believe, it's the power of God. Help us. If there be one in this audience, one in this sound of the internet, wherever this goes, that knows not what where they're going to spend eternity and have never made a decision for the Lord Jesus, may they come to you in private, one-to-one, and say, Lord God, show me Calvary. Let me see the cross for me. May they go to the book and read John chapter 3 slowly. God save them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. 
Thank you and God bless.